Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Fulhamish Extra. 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 I am Jack Collins. I'm with Don Betts. Hello, hello. I'm with Drew Heatley. Hello. And we're here to look forward, if that's the right phrase, to the Manchester United game that Fulham have this Saturday. It's very exciting. 12.30 kickoff, which is, as we know, Dom, the worst time for a football game. No, it's Sunday midday is the worst kickoff time. OK, anything at midday, though. Yeah, any, anything anything like before three is just not acceptable. Like Saturday 5.30 is my ideal time. Like, I just dream the Chelsea game would be Saturday 5.30. Yeah, and we'd, be, we'd, we'd never get that lucky, would we? No. Just, I've literally just remembered it's 12.30. I hate you both. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Drew. But, I've had to uh, ruin your day. Yeah, but we get to oh. see my man Jay Lings, so it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I think this podcast is just going to end up with us talking about the Manchester United team quite a lot. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Drew, what are your thoughts pre-game? It's very much a walk to the guillotine, isn't it? It feels like it. it, This is what a new manager bounce is is meant to feel like, right? Not uh, uh, Ranieri's picked up two two more points over a relative period than uh, than Slab or whatever it is that the the stats are this you know this is what it's really about and you know despite their uh, you know that late equaliser against Burnley they're now back on track aren't they and they're not even conceding so oh it's going to be a great day for the neutral well or a Man United fan I imagine aren't they just neutrals in red shirts I don't know that's it they'll be in the neutral end anyway (laughs) Tom, uh, is this very much just uh, let's get it over with and, and move on? Well, it's been a long time since I've seen my boys Rashford and Lingard at Wembley against Croatia, so it be good to see him back. <laughs> you catch him out. Yeah. I've, uh, I've actually interviewed Marcus Rashford once, and uh, he was the dullest person I've ever had the misfortune of spending 20 minutes with. <laughs> we spent, oh no, absolutely wonderful striker, but we spent ages doing uh, charades to try and get it. Um, he, he didn't know who Paul Kim Gascoigne Bruce. was. Uh, it was it was a really difficult difficult interview, and wow. it was I, what we were doing was doing some stuff for like Instagram stories, being like, oh, let's just do some like fun some fun tricks and uh, some fun charades, and it, it was really stressful and unpleasant. So he's going to score a hat trick. Yeah, is, Jay Lings is going to score a banger because he's the best midfielder in England. Is Dom rating Jesse Lingard so highly like the biggest shock ever? I, just, I love Jesse. Lingard. I'm amazed. He's, by he's this. phenomenal. I also love Jesse Lingard. I don't not maybe not as a footballer, but just as a person, he's he's hilarious because he winds so many people. Yeah, up. That's true. He is, he is also a very good footballer. Oh, you yeah, know, that goal scoring in the World Cup was absolutely bang. The yeah, thing is that on Sunday, Southgate made four changes to the lineup he's been playing with. They were a little bit lucky against Leicester in many ways, and it was a lovely goal from, from Rashford. And, but also, they, they, you know, they survived a late onslaught, and, and after the Burnley game, there is a slight more air of vulnerability about this side than there was three weeks ago. There is, and you know, there's a there's a chink in the armor there that's to be got out, which is great. And we also know that those chinks were there at the beginning of the season uh, with Mourinho. So, yeah, we we thought that the Old Trafford game as well, didn't we? But uh, I guess it depends. It, re- it really depends on how we're set up on Saturday. I mean, if we got, if we're getting beaten four one by the team that Mourinho was putting yeah. out, I don't know what we're going to expect now. Yes, we know their defense is pretty bad and can be got out, but I think you know. They're going to be. They'll have. They're going to. They're a counter-attacking team, and the pace they've got is just going to go right through us. I mean, I, I just don't see how we're going to get anything from this game because you know I think you know people talk about managerials and systems and tactics, but I think one thing that Solskjaer's done is what it's what I thought that Zidane did at Real Madrid is he's just released the shackles from the team and he's letting the players play. You've seen that in the way Paul Pogba's. I mean, that pass to Rashford's goal against Leicester was phenomenal. Great touch from Rashford and finish as well. 
So I think, you know, you know, Paul Pogba, Rashford, Lingard, Martial, you know, we've got to get through these players to get to get out of their defence. And then it, if it is a game, we have to take chances. You know, I've taken very well with one of the best keepers in the world with David De Gea in goal. So, you know, it's one of those things where Ranieri is surely going to have to have looked at how we played on Saturday and again, how we played against Brighton. Like, is there any possibility that he's not going to play five at the back, that he's going to somehow come to his senses over the course of this? Well, you know, it, it really, for me, is a, a chance for Ranieri to show how how he plans to go about the rest of the season and, and how sort of... Right, so we're not we're not expecting to get anything from this game, but what I want to see is some evidence that Claudio can learn from mistakes that have been made, that he, you know, is a competent manager and, and can give me any shred of hope whatsoever for the next 13, 12 games after this one. Okay, Dom, what would you go with as a starting eleven? I think we know. Attack's the best form of defence for us. I, I I don't care if we get in Paris. I want to see us go for it, to be, to be yeah, honest. No, I don't see us trying to defend when we know Rashford, Martial, Lingard... Pogba will just tear us an absolute new one. So I would go to the team or the system we played pretty much against Brighton. I'd probably maybe not make more of a 4-3-3, but go with Rico in net. I think at right back, you might as well put me there because I'll be as good <laughs> as what, what, we, what we've got. So I think it will just be Chris Deacon to can, can play there. I mean, I can't see him rat, suddenly bringing Steven Sess at United at home live on TV. I think centre-backs, Maxime Lamarchon and Dennis Adoy. I don't, I've, re, I've don't, not been pressure. He's been dropped when we've been moved to a four the back system. You know, I think Dennis Adoy and Maxim Marshall are more comfortable on the ball, got more pace about them. So it's going, to, it's going to be needed when you're playing against the likes of Marcus Rashford. Left back, Zoom Joe Bryan. I can't see anything else changing. Chambers holding the midfield. I want to, I want to see Sarri and Kearney play together because we saw briefly against Brighton that he can play together on the same pitch. Yeah. I want to see them both in the midfield. And then I want to, so I want to see Sesson on the left, Babel on the right, and Mitchell through the middle. So that would be your only change from second half at, at Brighton. You'd have Cesc instead of Vieto. Yeah. I thought Vieto did quite well against Brighton. Yeah, but I just I don't, I don't care for Vieto. He's a lone player. Okay. Right. If, if, we're, if, we're, if we're resigned to going down, we might as well start playing our own. Right, yeah. True. I would say that's bang on, uh, actually, to be fair. And obviously, probably should point out, Fossi Mensa can't play anyway, but I'd rather have somebody who, who, who has that work rate and that desire that... that Christie does for all of his faults. I'd rather have that on uh, on Saturday. And yeah, the one thing I really can't I can't watch is poor old shattered PTSD ridden Tim Ream against some uh, some of their attacking players. I just don't think I can cope with that. So yeah, let's uh, let's give him a rest. And uh, other than that, I'd say let's have that lineup. I think I'd go with what you've got, but I think I would play Vieto and, and bring Seth off the bench. I think he's been more effective this season when he has come off the bench. Uh, he sort of brings that injection of energy in the in the last twenty minutes, and we, we saw it, you know, against Huddersfield. We saw it to a point against Brighton where he he did really well when he came on at left back. So uh, I think that you know ultimately we're all the same. Is there a spot for either of the new boys? I suppose is is the big question. You know, w- would you be you know worried if you saw Nordvite or Mangovic in the squad? Moved, if he moved to a five at the, or not move stick stuck to a five at the back system and he played Markovic at right wing back where he has been deployed before I I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't say it's a right move to make or we look at Harvard Nordvite the only way I can see this happening is we play a double pivot in holding midfield because he's not he shouldn't be playing a centre back for us because simply every time he's played there he's not been great he was so good at Borussia Mönchengladbach in well not great but that's where he's played his best football in holding midfield so I don't see why we shouldn't play him there and from yeah, and then if you, if you had a dull pivot with maybe Seri in front of them with you know Viet Barbel, Vieto or Sess and then Mitrovic, then that might work. But you know, I don't know. I, 
they've got, they've clearly been signed for a reason, so surely you'd expect them to play. But you, with Fulham's January signings, you never really know. You do do really know. What about you, Drew? Would you would you see either of them? I would think that out of the two, we're more likely to see Markovic than uh, Nordvite. But um, and he's he's another he's another uh, sort of option, isn't he, up top to see if if we need anything unlocking, which you know I can't see what we do, but I think he'd be on the bench. Um, I wonder whether with Nordvit Nordvite is that am I saying it right? Nordvite, yeah, yeah Nordvite. Is uh, you know, is he our own brand, Callum Chambers? If Arsenal recalled him, or you know, as he's the lone player, I don't know. Seems to be similar sort of thing. Not not really. Uh, sort of switching between centre back and centre defensive midfield. But no, I don't think we'll see him. I think we'll, we might see Markovic on the bench. One thing we, if we're looking at United and the way they're going, like they are going to be very wary of the game they've got in midweek after yep. when they when they play Paris Saint Germain. Is it Old Trafford? I want to say. Yeah. And you know they will have one eye on that game because yes, in well obviously PSG lost on the weekend against Lyon, so they're going to be wanting to bounce back this weekend. And I can't, I don't really know who they're playing, but you know Neymar's Neymar's out of that game, so you know it is important for United will see this as a game they could they can progress through before Mourinho got sacked. They wouldn't they see it? they were sort of resigned to defeat because Neymar hadn't been injured yet, and so I think they would have won this game. So we could punish them if we were to towards the end of the game because I feel like they might take off their key players to rest them so okay. I think there is a very small chance that there is some part of them to get out with the game going up next week against PSG but you know it's going to be a very very tough ask well let's get a view from the opposition camp and a man with split loyalties I suppose is the man from the opposition view today some may know him as the host of our Wednesday night fan show. It's Aaron Paul. Uh, he is a Manchester United fan by, by trade. But he's uh, quite fond of our club, isn't he, Dom? Yeah, he, he covered us a lot in the championship. He knows like, he knows our players quite well. He still goes to the old game. Saw him at the Spurs game. I saw him at, uh, maybe it was the West Ham game, maybe? Yeah. Um, so he still goes to the old game at Chrome Cottage when he can, when he's not commentating on whatever game he's doing up and down the country. But a very, very big United fan and clearly knows his stuff. Well, let's see what Sammy had to say to the big man. Yes, on Saturday, Fulham face Man United at Craven Cottage. It's a 12.30 kickoff, and well, with Fulham's recent form, it's looking like a pretty uphill task against probably the most informed team in Europe right now. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has led a revolution since taking over from Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford. And before they drew two all with Burnley, we're on a spin of eight wins in a row. To talk all things Red Devils, I've got one of the finest Cockney Reds you'll ever find. Aaron Paul is on the line to talk all things Man United. Aaron, how you doing, man? All good, Sam. All good. Good to be on, pal. Really, uh, really looking forward to it. Well, let's start off by talking about the uh, the Solskjaer revolution at Man United. He's well, he's done everything that could be asked of him since since taking over from Jose Mourinho. Must have really brought the feel-good factor back. Yes, you know, I really think that all it was was a case of injecting a feel-good factor back into into the club, into the fans, and, and into the football. And I think one, once you get it into the football, there's sort of that knock-on effect around the club. There's a little buzz around the place. And, and for me personally, I was looking at it and saying, you know what, he wins a few games here and there, we'll be happy. Take us to the end of the season, we'll be happy. Then I started thinking to myself, you know what, we're in the FA Cup. I reckon he's got a chance of getting the job. Win the FA Cup, finish fourth, I'll be happy. Now... Right now, bring on PSG, bring on Liverpool, bring on City. We'll beat them all. That that that's my true opinion. I think we've looked laggy, like against Burnley. I think Solskjaer would admit that maybe um, in the performance against Arsenal, you know, United were 
absolutely top, top class against Arsenal. But against Burnley, he got the decisions wrong. United played Leicester at um, at the weekend at the KP. And you know what? We rode our luck sometimes, but we showed class where needed and, and we effectively got the job done. Now, we, we, we're coming into a really tough run of fixtures. Um, starting with a with a fixture at Craven Cottage on Saturday, which, I mean, I've, I was fortunate I've, I've been to, to many of these fixtures where... Um, in, in quite a few of the last times that the clubs have met, Fulham have actually beaten my mob. But you've got to be looking at this now as another pretty simple three points. I mean, the, the game against Leicester, Marcus Rashford with such a clinical strike. Do you think he's probably the most informed striker in the Premier League right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I still always look at someone like Sergio Aguero personally. Yeah, but, maybe. you know, Marcus Rashford, I mean, you know, you say that, it was just minutes before that that, you know, he put a header straight over the bar, over the bar, which, you know, a quality striker like a Berbatov, like a Van Nistelrooy, like a Van Persie would have stuck that straight in the back of the net. So I still think there's stuff to learn there from Rashford. But, you know, there is no doubt whatsoever that since Oli's come in, he looks a different player. Martial looks a different player. Sanchez looks a different player. They're starting to cut away some of the deadwood, although they're giving Ashley Young a new contract, which is absolutely baffling. Um, but, you know, Fellaini's gone. I think you're going to see, you know, some of the, the squad sort of split into two groups now. Um but yeah, Rashford, Martial—they're looking good. They're looking hungry now, which is um, which is more than what you could say than under Jose. So, what is the Oli Gunnar Solskjaer philosophy? Obviously, everyone knows he's come in and given them the so-called feel-good factor. But has he changed anything tactically from what Jose was doing? He seems to play this four-two-two-two system, and uh, it allows Luke Shaw and, and Ashley Young to get up very very high and and give you your width but does that mean sometimes you can be a little bit exposed if Shaw and Young get caught a bit too high up the pitch well if you look at it if you look at it Sam this is very much a similar sort of formation that Sir Alex Ferguson was playing in the latter years of his spell as Manchester United manager a four it's a four two 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 slash four three three with your wing backs that you know that that just pushed forward and overlap, and obviously back in that day, you know, you, we had the likes of Ever on one side and Rafael de Silva on the other, and you had Vidic and Ferdinand in the middle, and you felt so confident that nothing was going to go in. But now, you know, looking at people like your Lindelofs and your Bays, there is real concern over the United backline. However, saying that, since Oli's come in, Lindelof has been possibly our most improved player. Bay looks half decent. Don't remember, we haven't seen Marcos Rojo, but you're looking at players now who actually seem confident, you know, playing in the United back line. Your Phil Joneses, your, your Chris Smallings. You know, before I'd see Phil Jones's name on the team sheet and, and you know, my insides would be crying. But right now I feel kind of calm watching them play in the United shirt. You know, it's good to see Luke Shaw back as well. Really, really good to see Luke Shaw back. This is a man, you know, at £30 million was... was I think he was Britain's most expensive teenager or teenage defender or one of these, you know, records that um, that's invented these days. But he really hasn't lived up to his potential. He did somewhat under Louis Van Gaal, um, or I, I think it was. No, in fact, it was in the in the first season under Jose Mourinho um, he, when he, then he broke his leg against PSV. Um, but you know, you're seeing his emergence. But I think you, we're taking a lot of the values. Uh, and a lot from the ethos of the Swalex Ferguson era here. You know, 
a lot of it is a case of pass the ball move, pass the ball move, simple stuff that you and I were taught in school, you know, by, by, by PE teachers in ridiculously short shorts. <laughs> you know, go pass the ball, move, look for someone else, look for someone else. And United seem to be doing that now. They seem to be attacking without fear of what's going on behind them. We've seen Paul Pogba unshackled of the fact that, you know, Nemanja Matic has become sort of like a bit of a wall. And, and you've got Ander Herrera, who, can I just say, I mean, I actually love, I, I, I have a little thing for him, a little man crush on Ander Herrera, biting into the midfield and 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 just adding something else um, that, that we've been missing for a while. He looks like a rejuvenated player. And of course, Paul Pogba looks like a rejuvenated player. So on a whole, you look at it, 4-2-2-2, 4-3-3. We're playing very much in that old school Sir Alex mould where the defence will push up, let the midfield do the work and the front three are sort of a detached unit completely. They are the ones who just drive and drive and drive at a defence. And if I was a Fulham fullback, um, you know, this weekend, I'll be ever so slightly concerned. Well, I think if I was uh, any Fulham fullback at the moment, I'd be concerned no matter the opposition, let alone Man United coming into town. Is there a sense, though, that in the last four league games, kind of leave out the Arsenal game in the FA Cup, because I thought Man United were brilliant in that from start to finish, but you look at Spurs, and Spurs had so many chances, and De Gea had an absolute worldie. Against Brighton, you were competent in the first half, but Brighton definitely pushed you quite a lot uh, in the second, and I felt like you were a bit fortunate to come away with the three points. Then there was the game against Burnley. You did great to you know, level that so late on, but Burnley, not a particularly prolific team, caused you quite a few problems and then against Leicester you know had, had Vardy maybe taken a chance or two had maybe Madison been a tad less wasteful you might not have got three points there is there a argument that Man United have been getting a little bit lucky of late and maybe in one of the few upcoming games your luck might run out I'm I'm clutching at straws here because I don't think Fulham's the team to actually punish you in that way but certainly as a United fan there must be a small feeling that at some point soon, this this great run's going to come to an end because we're pushing our luck a tad. Yes and no, and and how I look at it is uh, how I look at it, Sam, is is simply um, Spurs would have battered us last season. Brighton beat us last season. Burnley didn't beat us last season, but we showed the strength to 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 go and you know go two goals down inside what was it 82 minutes or 83 minutes and and go and recover that game and Leicester Man United this is the former champions of England don't get me wrong they're not as strong as they once were but again we dropped points there last year we drew 2-2 there last year so we're actually picking up points on last season a season we finished second in now a lot of people have said yeah they look a bit different but with all due respect again you know we're we're, we're looking at a, a a side that is very heavily influenced by Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, and and I don't think the players of, of, of a similar sort of quality as Sir Alex Ferguson had. You know, if you look at the whole of the back line, you know, you look at the back line now where you've got sort of a, a, a young by uh, young Lindelof, Jones and Shaw. And, and back then when you had like a Raphael, Evra, Vidic and Ferdinand, you've got players not of the same sort of quality as the Sir Alex Ferguson era, but trying to play in that same sort of mould and understanding. And, and well, United fans have to understand that if we're going to be conceding chances, we're going to be conceding chances. But we have something else now. We have this little bit of sort of a metal about us where we can go on and we can grind out results. We ground out a, a result against Spurs. Let's be fair. 
United played very well for the first 45 minutes. The second 45, we hung on like, you know, like it was a force nine goal. And, uh, and we hung on. And credit to United, we actually got the three points. Against Brighton, again, it just seemed like, you know, we went two goals up. Gross gets what is a very... How do I use... I'm going to use a very millennial word now. A very booky goal. It was the most bookiest of booky goals. You know, where he slid in and, and, and managed to get it off, uh, off of a sort of a ricochet off of, um, off of the crossbar. But again, we've seen it out just about... Burnley was Burnley and Leicester. I think United were very, very professional. It was very much a a tough Premier League away day. I just think we're seeing traits of an Alex Ferguson side. We're seeing traits of something that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has learnt from. You know, games in the past where, you know, you would have had people like your Coventrys and your, um, not your Leeds, but your Leicesters, your Coventrys, your Spurs of old, your old Southamptons coming to Old Trafford or you're going to the Dell, you're going to White Hart Lane or something like that. And you've got to put in a shift and you're not necessarily going to walk away with a five goal, you know, a five goal cushion or something. You've got to work hard at it. And I really like the fact that we're grinding things out now because under Jose, I'll tell you something, Spurs would have battered us under Jose because there was no belief in the team. There's no belief in the team. Now you feel there's a belief in the team. Spurs would have beaten us. I dare say we would have picked up a point against Brighton. Arsenal would have beaten us. Burnley, who knows? And 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 Leicester, I just feel that you know we could have been beaten uh, again there. So yeah, I'm I'm pleased. I'm pleased. Now you were kind enough when you said that Man United have got a tough list of fixtures coming up. Um, I mean, you've got Paris Saint-Germain, Chelsea and Liverpool all coming up, but you did utter Fulham into that breath, which I think is very generous, Aaron. Do you think there's any chance, and and you do see a lot of Fulham, so I think you're well-placed more than most of our opposition fans to answer this. Is there any chance of Fulham mustering a resistance against this rampant United on Saturday? Because personally, my belief's gone straight out the window. Oh, this is so hard. A Fulham under Slavisio Kanovic would have. And you know, you know, you know, I had a lot of love for the big man, but um, I just, I just don't know how I feel about this this Fulham team under Claudio Ranieri. Do you know what it feels like right now, Sam? It feels like um, you know, Football Manager, where you get no money, then you get a cash injection when you get promoted to the Premier League. That's how it feels, and you go and buy all these players, these random players, and and you forget about the crux of your team, and you forget about the core of your team. Uh, and and you kind of just buy a player's willy need. That's how it feels right now. I would have said if if you know Ranieri gets his tactics spot on, I think you know you could you could trouble United. Plus, you know I think that Mitrovic will 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 trouble Lindelof and whoever plays next to Lindelof. I can't actually see United playing a full strength side. They got PSG in the Champions League on Tuesday night. I can see you know maybe a Dallo coming in, maybe a maybe a Bay, maybe a Jones coming in. Um, Sanchez starting but I really I really really worry for Fulham not necessarily in this fixture this fixture I think will be one of those ones that just sort of passes and don't forget Fulham played well against Spurs they played I was I was you know fortunate enough to be there they played some really really good football against Spurs um whether they can do that against this Man United, I, I, I don't know. Let's be fair. We, we haven't really seen a consistent Fulham team, um, you know, lining up every every week. And I know it must be frustrating for you, but, um, well, I, I just, I really, really can't see anything other than the United win this weekend. 
Fair enough. Well, I'll get your exact prediction in just a second. One more prediction, though. Not do you want Solskjaer to be manager uh, full-time by the summer, but do you think he will be given the full-time manager's job in the summer? If we win a trophy. I really think it's a case of if we win the, if we win the FA Cup, then Woodward's hand is, is, is completely tied. He, he's, he's got no other option than to, than to give to uh, Solskjaer. Um, I think if we win a trophy, I think if we finish fourth, I think I think he will. But Solskjaer himself has come out and said we're in it for trophies. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Maurizio Pochettino and I, I'm desperate to see him at United. But when you think about it, you know, Solskjaer has, uh, has banded together with Mike Phelan and, and Michael Carrick. And, and Mike Phelan was one of the integral cogs of the Sir Alex Ferguson wheel. And he was, um, you know, removed from his position when David Moyes was brought in. Are we going to see another, you know, point where where Mauricio Pochettino brings his staff in, um, and 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 it all sort of goes to pot, or or do we need continuity again? Do we need to give it to Solskjaer for a year or two and say, look, here you go, here are the tools, get it done? It's it it is literally like a a crazy question that so many people are trying to answer. My my answer is simple: if we win a trophy, I think Solskjaer's got the job. Fair enough. And then finally, Aaron, what's your score prediction for the game on Saturday? That is so difficult. Um, Fulham nil, Manchester United three. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nah, nah. You gotta be honest. You gotta be honest, Aaron. I'm just, I'm just wincing at the thought of spending my Saturday afternoon watching that. But at least it's Saturday lunchtime. You get the rest of your Saturday, you know, to yourself, pal. Even longer in the pub. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, Aaron, uh, thanks for chatting to Fulhamish as ever, oh, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday for the game. Maybe. <laughs> well, thank you very much to Aaron Paul there from United Redcast, who obviously you all know well. Dom, do you want to plug the old Love Sports show while Aaron's just been here? Yeah, uh, you can catch us every Wednesday from half eight till ten. Uh, we we try to bring something different. It's more sort of more featurey stuff. We're not necessarily doing as much game reaction. Just sort of, I do we do things like talk about our worst ever signings or best Fulham comebacks more interesting things like that and we get we get interviews ex-pros we've had Lee Rossino on last week we've had Rob Scott on Rob Wilson very famous, very popular among Fulham fans you've got we've obviously had you know just so many so many interesting players you know Gordon Davis Fulham's record goal scorer was a good laugh so you know make sure to stay tuned 8.30 to 10 and you know we'll bring you the best interviews on the extra pod Good. So uh, there we are. We've also today got a special interview with Felix White. Felix White was the guitarist in the Maccabees. Some of you might know them. He's also a massive Fulham fan and he's part of the Tailenders podcast with Greg James and Jimmy Anderson that goes out on the BBC. So a man well versed in many things. Sammy caught up with him to hear what he had to say about all things Fulham this season. Well, thank you, Jack. Absolutely delighted to be in the presence of musician, cricket aficionado, Fulham devotee, Felix White. Felix, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, Sam. Good to see you, mate. Yeah, well, thank you for being on Fulhamish. Uh, you said to me just before we started that you've uh, you've become a little bit of a listener to Fulhamish in uh, in recent months. While well, you've uh, you've struggled to keep up with the club, so uh, Fulhamish has been keeping you company. Yeah, you know what? I've had a couple of years where I mean, most people will know supporting any football club is a bit like this. But you have about five or six years where you're intensely into it, going to all your away games, home games, and then you have a few years in your life where, for whatever reason, you sort of drift away from it. And I've kind of had that a couple of years where I haven't been able to get to the cottage, but amongst all the sort of drama and stuff that's happened this year I have started listening to you guys and I found it really nice connection to the club that I'm able to make it so it's been really interesting the last few weeks seeing how it's developed isn't it 
Well, it's been a pretty difficult few weeks and months for Fulham on the pitch. We'll come on to that in a minute, but just uh, be good to find out what you've been up to. Obviously, Maccabees played their final shows uh, a couple of years ago, but from the looks of it, man, you've you've been pretty busy doing all sorts, mostly cricket from from the looks of it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the Maccabees, my band, we did our last gigs, not last summer, the summer before. And since then, I kind of just sort of... Uh, I've done. I've been in a band for in my entire life since I was 17, as well as coming to Craven Cottage. Uh, essentially, the only things I did with my life up to that point. And so, when it stopped, I kind of uh, decided I was just going to chase down all these other things. So, I'm writing a book for Jimmy Anderson, who's the England bowler at the moment. I do a podcast with him and Greg James at BBC around the corner called Tailenders. I'm making music, a soundtrack, all kinds of things. We've got a record label called Yala. So, it's been a pretty uh, intense and steep learning curve on all those things in the last two years. Hence, I haven't been at Fulham as much as I like to, really. And um, tell us about what it was like playing those farewell shows for the Maccabees. Obviously, it's just been part of your life pretty much as probably as far back as you can remember. You're obviously in the band with your brother. It must have been so emotional doing those final shows. Yeah, man. I mean, we were... So, I, I think it was 15 years total we were together from the first time we got together. And so we and had been friends from being kids, as, as you say, my brother as well. So it was a very big thing, man. I, it, took, it definitely took a few months after those Ali Pali shows to kind of just sort of come above, uh, above surface level again. Because <laughs> it was super intense and it was a very definite end of a chapter, one part of my life. Actually, not dissimilar. It made me think a lot about... Um, cricketers and footballers a lot of Fulham players I spoke to Matt Lawrence about it who used to play right back for us in the mid 90s um, I spoke to him because he used to come and see us a lot and uh, of the similarities there between the end of a footballer's career and w- when bands end that tend to end at the same stage and it was I think quite a similar experience actually where you've had your whole life being one thing it's been quite um it's been facilitated for you, so you don't do much thinking other than your profession, and you suddenly just get spat out, and you have to deal with the realities of the world, which a lot of footballers have to do, yeah. I mean, I saw you guys quite early on. Uh, you were playing at the Eden Project. You were supporting Razorlight, and um, I just remember absolutely loving it back then, and so many of my friends used to listen to the Maccabees. You were a real soundtrack of... Uh, Lots of me and my friends' generation. I mean, it must be pretty cool looking back and, and seeing what you guys achieved now you've had a couple of years away from it as such. That's exactly right, man. It was, yeah, I feel, I remember the Eden Project gig really well, actually. But um, I, I feel so proud of what we did, really. You realise when you're outside of it how many things have to go right to do that and that you need to have the exact coincidental chemistry of people to make that happen in that space of time so yeah I feel super proud of it and you know what also secretly quite pleased often that I'm not waking up on a bus in Birmingham at like four in the morning these days to be honest yeah it must have been a pretty hard lifestyle at times uh speaking of other difficult lifestyles let's come on to Fulham uh how did it come about that you were a Fulham fan is it in the family were you taken to a game uh your brother of course was also in the Maccabees is he a big fan or is it is it more your passion yeah so that I, I think quite a lot of Fulham players uh Fulham fans will be similar to me maybe of this generation but I was my dad wasn't into football and I'd like started playing and been super into it about 10, 11. And I was pestering him for somewhere to go, you know, to go and watch football. And I think he felt like, oh, Fulham's, Fulham will be a safe place 
for him to go every Saturday. So maybe I should take him there as the introduction. So it was actually um, Mickey Adams was in charge. It was just before the takeover, 96. And he took me down. We got the train, walked from Putney Station, did that walk over the bridge, watched it in the Riverside stand, left. And when we got home, he said, look, if you want to do that, I'll give you tenner on Saturday and you can so I like kind of picked up a couple of mates who lived in Putney and then we just kind of made it our thing so it wasn't any kind of familial um, connection to anything but since then uh, my brothers and my dad and all kind of extended Maccabees all extended friendship have a deep like affinity for Fulham really and that's always been because it's the kind of place that you as I'm sure you'll be aware you can just take people and they'll be like oh yeah this is a bit of me oh do you know what I mean um, yeah, so that's how it started. So it all started pretty well then as, as a Fulham fan. If you started supporting during Mickey Adams and then he had all of those promotion years, which of those were your favourite? Because there is the one up to Division 1 where we, we set that amazing points total, but also that season when we got into the Premiership under Tagana as well, when we won at Blackburn and it was all sealed against Sheffield Wednesday, was also pretty memorable. That's, that's very much an upward trajectory of Fulham as soon as you started supporting them. Yeah, it was. And I, I mean, it, I... I still regret that I didn't see Roddy McAree score that goal as well. Um, or Sean Davis. I don't think I scored, saw that goal as well, weirdly. Uh, you're right. It was, um, it was quite a giddy upward curve at time. And it was a kind of thing that I remember witnessing it in the older generations who were quite emotional about it. Where he got promoted to the championship and then the Prem, um, realising what a big deal it was. But to me, obviously having been too young to, to live through, through the 80s and... Um, Gordon Davies and all that kind of thing I didn't I m- maybe didn't quite appreciate as much as I would have done now but we played some liquid football in those years man uh, to Ghana side I mean I, I've i even got quite a lot of fondness for the, the Bracewell year in the championship where we played um, sideways and backwards football for a season and we finished probably like 14th or something because I remember being quite proud of being like oh yeah this is you know this is what it must have been like a little bit um, through the early part of the 90s everyone complaining about that side um, there's some amazing memories man I used to walk around with that yellow uh, away kit the one that we beat Villa in Demon Internet and uh, uh, Hayward scored that goal and I used to have Morgan and Thorn on the back of it that's probably like in my mind that's my, still my definitive Fulham team really Morgan and when Coleman had arrived and Hayward and Neil Smith so you had all those sort of old school players with the influx of uh, like those sort of let's say more stylish footballers that came in just after that. So when we were in the Premiership, it's probably about the time where Maccabees was really starting to take off for you. Did you manage to get to Fulham much whilst you were touring or, or writing? I imagine there must have been a few times where you were playing away and were able to connect it in with, with an away day or two. Yeah, we did. Um, we did a lot of. So when the band first got signed, I was at, we were actually living in Brighton, so I missed it for a few years, and that was the end of the Coleman era. And then we would... I don't know if I ever caught Fulham away on tour, but I would... I have gone and seen Fulham away a lot. So when I have my two or three years, every, you know, little batch of being super into it, I tend to go all the time, everywhere. Um, the really, like, the heyday, really, was when we were making uh, Mark's Prove It, which is our last record... And that was about to go at number one. And that was a sort of Europa League run as well. So that was real, like, um, perfect storm, if you will, in my life. And I, I used to, like, see a lot of 
I took a lot of comparisons from Hodgson's team into being in a group because they really um, played for each other. You always knew what they were going to do, but it didn't matter because it worked. And I felt like that was such a perfect alignment of principles that Hodgson managed that Fulham team. And somehow I kind of always viewed the Maccabees. In the, I thought like, yeah, that suits us as well. Do you know what I mean? So that was like a glorious time really. I like the idea that when Roy Hodgson maybe finishes his stint at Crystal Palace, that maybe he'll move into music management and be, you know, just organising rock and roll tours and making sure that the chemistry and the group's right and everyone knows their position. I don't think there's anything that Roy Hodgson couldn't do. And it was it was really a Fulhamish uh, that he uh, when he got that Liverpool job. I remember being really proud as a Fulham fan that everyone was really happy for him. There was no ill feeling. And the first time he came back to the club, he got such a beautiful reception. I remember those little moments thinking, yeah, this is really what I had hoped Fulham stood for. And it did, you know, which is really cool. So those, is that Europa year, your kind of favourite memory of supporting Fulham? Or is it some of that earlier stuff that we spoke about coming up to Division 1? I'm trying to think. It's not... I don't have like a whole season where I go, that was my favourite memory. They're more like sort of fragmented moments. Like even, um, I don't know if you remember, it's just such a small moment, but the, the little moments of euphoria in really bleak seasons that it provides. Like, uh, I think it was Ross McCormack heading in the last minute against Reading a few years ago. Do you remember that? Brian Ruiz pinged it back from there and sort of teed him up. It's just such a nothing game and a really dire season, actually. But um, I remember just the, the half an hour of like pure relief and euphoria that provided. They're the kind of things that stick in my head. M- much like the Brighton game uh, would have been last night. I wish I was there when that was all happening. Well, yeah, let's talk about this season. That Brighton game that was last night as we record this was absolutely mad. And it was such a crazy turnaround. It's been a real difficult return back to the Premier League and I think we were all buoyant after that playoff final what have you made of it it's been a bit of a damn squib hasn't it yeah I mean I've got I mean everyone's got a lot to say about it I think um, I don't know if it's embarrassing I mean Wembley was such Wembley was almost exhausted everyone of so much emotional energy but we kind of walked into the Prem there was this sort of feeling where we sort of swaggered in as if we owned the place. You know, we spent £100 million and because of the football we played up that year and that, and that kind of, uh, and that moment at Wembley where it felt like it was meant to be, it was this really bizarre, surreal moment. I've never experienced a Fulham before where we just assumed we were going to finish eighth. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know where that came from and... Um, we paid for it, haven't we? You know, like I can say all the boring stuff about signing too many players. I, d- I don't think Jukanovic should have gone. I think if you looked at his few years previous, his second half of seasons were always far superior to the first half of seasons with the same personnel. So I felt like it was owed to him to see that through because he, he was just meeting, meeting that crux where that had happened in the pr- two previous seasons. I went to see Ranieri's side and I thought it was interesting that his, uh, you know, his defensive outlook just meant um, playing five at the back, <laughs> which is basically that's what he's good defensive, which means he just like, bundles as many players back there and um, tries to beat on the break, basically. Um, but having said that, that might, be the st- that might be our Man City moment, mightn't it? That might be our um, camera moment. Well, yeah, I noticed that you retweeted Eric Neverland's tweet last night and he, and he said, is it 2008 all over again? And... There does feel like a similarity. There's something about a spurring comeback like that that just rallies the troops and, and gives you confidence as a fan, even if maybe 
by the time we've uh, played Palace, it's all futile. But yeah, it was it was an amazing one last night. I d- I d- it's just looking at it. I'm sure you've done the maths a lot. I don't know if Palace and Southampton are they going to drop drop enough points. That's the worry, isn't it? And I don't know. If, I, I I can't don't know if I can see that happening. But yeah, I mean Ranieri's produced bigger miracles before. I think it, when, I, when I've seen him a couple of times he's been in charge, I think he definitely is a presence. And he surprised me, he surprised me actually how um, animated he is and engaged he is in the touchline. So he is definitely sort of... I mean, you don't want to go back in that dressing room having not given 100%. And I think that might be something. Uh, but we'll wait and see. So moving away from Fulham, your other big sporting love is cricket. Uh, you do the, the Tailenders podcast with uh, Jimmy Anderson and with, uh, with Greg James. How did your love of cricket come about? Was that something uh, in a similar vein to Fulham? Is that something a bit more recent than Fulham? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting question. You know? that's, one don't know totally what the answer is, because like I said, my da- it's not like my dad played sport or anything. Um, do you know a weird thing? I've... I've, I've I'm moving flat and looking through my box of, boxes of stuff and there's you know like old photos I found a photo of me and I must have been, have been about four and I'm just reading this um, book which is called Cricket and the look on my face is like what is that and I feel like maybe I can almost imagine my head thinking what is this thing so it was something I was sort of just fascinated about and then when we were when I was growing up it was on terrestrial television so it was just there all the time and I think there's something in that as well that Fulham has provided in my life is it's just it's it's a home that isn't going to go away and that's a community and that's the same as cricket really you know cricket is always on somewhere in the world there's always cricket to watch um and obviously all the theatre and drama and community and that provides like obviously that's kind of subconsciously while you're into it um but when I intellectualize it that's why I imagine it's been such a big part of my life yeah well I think people maybe outside of the UK don't quite realize the relationship between football and cricket there are lots of uh, either footballers that were great at cricket or cricketers that were great at football growing up and also as fans there are lots of people who will support a football team kind of throughout the winter months then as soon as it comes around to May their fix is going and watching county cricket and and like football and rugby doesn't quite have the same relationship where where it duels up there's definitely a similarity between the two apart from the fact that there's nothing similar about the sports yeah that's that is that's an interesting analogy i mean i do i write a, a monthly piece for wisdom cricket monthly in which i basically uh speak to someone who is not from cricket world who loves it and one of the people this year has been gary neville and he talked about his Phil was an amazing cricketer who's uh, actually could have played for England and had this choice to make. But Gary wasn't quite as good, but really loves cricket. And he spoke about uh, cricket toughening him up a, a lot more than football because when you're playing it at an age level when you're sort of 17, you're playing with adults. It's not like under 18s. Like if you're playing for the club side, there's a 40 year old sort of labourer who's going to carve it everywhere and the talent is some old kids so he said it taught him so much about uh, the workings of life really that he took that into his hard shelled um, uh, attitude uh, when he was playing for United which is super cool and all all, all those kind of things cross over man so many um, actors and musicians are fascinated by cricket because I think it just one last thing is great about cricket which nothing else does is that 
all different shapes and sizes can make it work for them. It's not like you have to be athletic. You get people that are slightly overweight that have some sort of hand-eye coordination ability. So you have this vehicle for which anyone can make it work in their specific way if they're good enough, you know. And as in your time in in music and with the Maccabees, you'll have met uh, a lot of uh, famous, particularly musicians, but also other people kind of in popular culture. And Fulham seems like one of those trendy clubs which does seem to have a lot of celebrity fans and particularly musical ones as well. Obviously, there's there's Example, who's quite quite a famous example. I mean, as far as I know, Alex James from Blur has, seems to have a soft spot for Fulham and Vindaloo was in, inspired by him going to a Fulham game and there's uh, Rich Osman and recently Chelsea Grimes. There is a little bit of a scene for, for musicians uh, liking Fulham. Have you ever come across uh, one or had a good chat about Fulham with, a, with another famous musician? Um, I don't know if I have. To be honest with you, I'm surprised there aren't more. I'll tell you, you might like this story. I was at for the Leicester game, uh, Alice McIntosh, like really sweet man, he texted me and said, do you want to sit in the sort of chairman's bit for the game? I was like, do I fuck yes? <laughs> so like me and a mate went there and um, obviously that was a huge game, the biggest game in the cottage for a long time, wasn't it? And we were two, were we 1-0 down and we won? You mean the playoff final last year? The playoff semi-final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were we, one, we were 1-0 down from the, or 2-1, anyway. Um, so he went through, but at half-time, we were still losing, I think, on, on aggregate. Now, if you go down from the chairman's box where the seats are, there's a, there's a, as you come down from the seats away from the pitch, there's a door to your left and there's a door to your right. And I'd sort of not been paying attention because I was like, oh, my God, it's Tony Gale over there and, you know, wh- wh- whoever it was, George Cohen sort of thing. So I'm just sort of Fulham hero spotting. And I hadn't seen the room that everyone went into, so I went immediate right and immediate left. When I went into that room, it's not the space isn't much bigger than where, where we are now, like with these sofas. The only people in that room are Alison McIntosh, Tony Khan, and Shahid Khan. And Alison McIntosh knowing me, he goes, "Oh, Felix, um, like just trying to be polite, went, do you want a drink?" And in my head, I hadn't put the dots together. I was like, "Yeah, go on then, I'll have a, I'll have a tea." So he, so he goes, "Oh, okay, can we get?" It's a tea. and I'm thinking oh you know Simon Morgan everyone's going to be in here in a second it's just weird like I've just got this opportune moment anyway so tea gets made and in his biggest moment where obviously it's hundreds of millions of pounds these people put in the club I'm going slim I think we should just go long from now I, I think panic football early doors and until like I'm halfway through my tea and I start to realise like I'm definitely not meant to be in here and bless him you didn't tell me to leave but you know the, the eyes when you go who's going to worry now but he wasn't saying it because he so I just like oh, I was like I'm definitely in the wrong room and went out and then in the other room it was just crammed full of all the Fulham legends but none of them were even allowed in there so um, I like to think I played a small part in that player victory I imagine there's uh, several thousand Fulham fans listening now who would love an opportunity to be in a room solo with uh, Alistair McIntosh and uh, Shade Khan and Tony Khan. So uh, fortunately at that time, though, things were going quite swimmingly. So there wasn't too much negative you could say. They were very happy times. And you know what? It's just difficult. You know, we're we're back in the Prem. It's a really tough league. I don't hold um, anything against anyone, man. I think it's so competitive. And, you know. So moving on uh, in the next few years, what's what's kind of looking ahead for you you've got this book with uh, Jimmy Anderson coming out and you've also uh, been writing some, some more music as well so w- when can we expect uh, to see anything like that come out the music I'll be making uh, it 
it hasn't been unveiled yet, but it's been we're doing it for a couple of years. So around the summer, that's when it'll be happening. And Yalla, my record label, we do nights in London, bi-monthly nights, and we're, we're going around the country now, putting out a couple more records this year. So there'll be plenty that I'm doing, yeah. Well, Felix, um, so good to chew the fat on everything Fulham with you and uh, good luck with all your future projects and uh, thank you for chatting to Fulhamish. Brilliant, thank you, Sammy. Cheers, mate. Well, thank you so much to Felix and to Sammy for having that interview. Thank you for him for giving the time and as ever, you can check him out on the Tailenders podcast and, you know, just by searching Felix White on just the Just listening to all the great old Maccabees albums. He's really, you know, he's, he's actually a famous person rather than, you know, us sort of wandering around sitting in rooms chatting about Fulham. So, yeah, well, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for on this week's Extra, which leaves all me left to do is say thank you to Drew Heatley. Thank you very much. Say thank you to Don Betts. All right. Thank you to everyone guested. Thank you for listening. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. You lights. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.